All right, well, it is uh, week four of our Balance series, and this is a series we've been in uh, just, just because of a, a felt need. Uh, I've mentioned in a, in a roundabout way, Movement Church is a, is a new church. We've only been here for a few months, and so as we were thinking about what it would look like to, to uh, help, help launch a new church in this area, we, we looked at the demographics and, and studies and all different things of Hilliard, and one of the biggest felt needs that, that we uh, saw in our, in our research uh, was that Hilliard residents are, are looking for balance, and that sounds like something that a politician would say, I realize, but I promise we actually have research that says that. Uh, we, we were told that, that no matter what the age of someone, whether they're in their 20s or their 50s, uh, people in Hilliard are looking for balance in their job, their career, their life, their family, and their leisure. And because I have all of those things, or sometimes want all of those things, I know that that's the case. And I'm sure that, that everyone in here probably is looking for balance in those things too. And so this series is just one of the ways that, that we want to respond and show uh, what balance looks like when you're anchored in Christ and what balance can look like uh, when your life is, is anchored in God. And so this, this series has been that. The last couple weeks, uh, we have talked about what, what balance looks like in our personal lives, what's it, what it looks like to, uh, to take idols out, what it looks like to have a balanced family as, as aunts and uncles and, and mothers and sons and fathers and, and all of those different things. And, and we've also looked at what it looks like uh, just to, to be balanced in our relationship with Christ. And so this week, uh, we want to just continue to, uh, to dive into that. And this is going to be our, our big idea, uh, just so that you know where we're going for the morning. Our big idea is a balanced follower of Jesus is not a separatist, not a conformist, but a transformist. All right? It says a balanced follower of Jesus is not a separatist or conformist, but transforms the world around them. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the, the book of Romans this morning. And uh, that's Romans chapter 12. You guys can go ahead and take that slide down because I didn't make it and the typographical error embarrasses me. So anyway, uh, well, I'll just say that. I wanted to just, you guys were all thinking it, so I just wanted to say it, right? Uh, go ahead and, and pull that down. We're going to be in Romans 12. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't, there's one under your chair uh, and, and if you don't personally own a Bible, you can go ahead and, and, and just take that Bible with you today. We would love for you to have that and, and keep it during the week and, and read it and, and just, uh, just learn to, to grow in your relationship and learn to know God more. But we're going to be in, in Romans 12 as we talk about this concept of, of balance. Because balance is, is honestly a crazy thing. Do you ever think about the fact that, that we're supposed to be balanced because we're supposed, to, we're supposed to have new life in Christ, right? And yet we live in a, in a sinful world. Full of, full of people that are, are not new creations. What, is, what does that look like exactly? And so I think this, this passage really just gives us um, kind of the, the, the greatest instructions that we could have. So this is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's going to tell us what it looks like to be a balanced follower of Jesus who transforms the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 simply says this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mentioned some of the themes that, that we've already talked about the last few weeks, and this passage is, is building on those because it's saying, all right, you want to have balance, you want to have a life that's dependent on God, you want to have a life that transform the, transforms the world, that makes a difference, 
this is, this is what you should do. And so it's, it's very instructional. And it simply says that God needs to be at the center of our, of our lives, of our families, of our career. You can kind of get all that because it's saying, give your bodies to God. It says, I plead, give your bodies to God. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just mean bodies, but you could use that word interchangeably with, with life or with heart. It's saying, give all of yourself to God. And so as we look at balance, and, and hopefully you've got this these last few weeks, balance is not something that you can have by, by just thinking about it uh, one hour of the week or by giving 10% of yourself to God. Balance is something that's going to come when you're wholeheartedly given to God and when you're dependent on Him. And so this passage stays in that theme, but it also says, offer our lives, our hearts, all of us as a sacrifice to God. Now hopefully... Uh, that, that's a decision that, that many of us have made. If you have understood what Jesus did on the cross, if you have understood that our sin separates us from God, and you understand that, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead to close that gap, to erase that gap, to take away our sins, so that through the blood of Jesus, we could have relationship with God. If you have understood the, the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus, you've said, I'm going to give my life the way that he has given his life for me. I'm going to be compelled to live my life by the love that he has shown me. And so this verse is, is kind of just echoing that. Most of us have probably said, yeah, I've, I've given my life to, to Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm following him. I want to do what he wants for my life. And, and we have a, a theme like that. And the, yet this is, is still being mentioned because Paul wrote this book to a church. He wrote the book of Romans Go figure to a church in Rome. And, and that's because they, like us, were, were a church. They were believers. And they were, they were probably struggling just like us. They, they weren't perfect. They were figuring out what does it mean to be given to God? What does it mean to be compelled by the love of Jesus? What does it look like to have relationship with him? What does it look like to follow him as a mother, as a father, as an employee, as someone who's gone and, 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 and messed up? And what, what does it look like daily, hourly, minute by minute, to follow Christ. And so this, this book is simply instructions. It says, give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Give your life to God because of all He has done for you. Give your heart, give your all to God because of all He has done for you. It goes on to say, let those things be a living and holy sacrifice. We're told that when we give ourselves, when we give all of ourselves to God, it pleases Him. And so often we always think, there, there are people all over the world who think, well, God doesn't love me. God wouldn't want to talk to me. God, I'm afraid of him. God, God scares me. I'm not good enough for him. And yet, this, this passage tells us, when you respond with love, when you give your life to Christ, that it's pleasing to God. Paul goes on to say that, that to, to worship God, to give him an acceptable offering, to give our lives... There, there are some certain instructions. And so I want to just look at this today because I think this is the best way that we can find balance and the best way that we can transform the world. On in those verses, verse 2 said, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so before we can see what it looks like to be transformed and what it looks like to let God change us, we have to talk about what does it look like to copy the customs and the behavior of this world. 
Well, I think there's two main ways, and, and we mentioned this in our big idea, but I think that, that we can either be separatists or we can be conformists. And so first this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like to, to be a conformist, because we've all probably been through a time, and it probably started in middle school, where we, where we conform to the things around us. Did you ever notice that, that later on in life, in college, you have, you have different cliques of people? You have like the jocks and the, the band people, and the, there's, there's all these different cliques. But in middle school, you can see slight different, you know, differences in people, but really everyone's the same person. Everyone wants to dress the same. No one wants to stand out. And so everyone basically buys into this, this is what I'm supposed to talk like, this is what I'm supposed to wear, this is who I'm supposed to be, I'm not athletic and I hate sports, but I'm going to try out for the team because that's, that's what, I, what I know and what I'm told. A conformist is, is someone who conforms simply to, to the things they see around them, to the things they're told, to who they feel they're supposed to be. And so a conformist of this world is someone who conforms to sin. We're told that we're supposed to be set apart. We're told that we're supposed to be different. We're told that we should be new creations who look different. And yet, even after some of us have given our lives to Christ, after we've understood the sacrifice of His death on the cross, some of us, some of us don't change a lot. We're not compelled by love. We say that things are going to change. We say that things are going to be different. And we go back to living the same way that we were. Our friends, our family see nothing different in us. Our speech doesn't change, our attitude doesn't change, our work ethic doesn't change, the way that we love people doesn't change, the way that we treat people doesn't change, the way that we talk about our boss behind his back doesn't change, nothing in us changes. In fact, people are able to, to, to tempt us and, and make us go back to old behaviors that, that we said we were going to walk away from. A conformist simply says, well, I know I'm supposed to be changed, but oh, right, right now I want to do this. And they fall into old patterns, old sin. And so there's kind of some, some things that, that you can see from a conformist. Usually they let media and, and busyness and noise in their life replace time with God. They let media replace meditation. And so they'll, they'll not really be listening to the voice of God. They'll not, let, not really let God's word change them because they're too busy filling their life with noise and with stuff and with other voices and people telling them who they should be. They let liberty replace love. We're told in the Bible that we're supposed to be defined by the way that we love, by the way that we love each other. And yet sometimes people think, okay, I'm free in Christ. Well, then I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And they look to, to push boundaries rather than to say, I'm going to be defined by love. And another characteristic sometimes of a conformist is that they let tolerance replace truth. We want to be defined by love and we want to love people, but sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is point people to truth. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is point people to truth. Anyone that, that has given their life to Christ knows that, that God is our, is our standard. God is our definition. God's word is our instruction book and our standard for what it looks like to, to live a life that glorifies God. And, and there are things, there are limits, there are boundaries that, that God says, this is too far, or this doesn't glorify me, or this doesn't honor me, or this is how I'd like you to live your life. And sometimes, in an attempt to love people, we do the most unloving thing that we can do, and, and we, we let them go too far. We let them not glorify God with their lives. And so sometimes, as a Christ follower, we need to, we need to speak truth. Sometimes we're, we're tolerant of sin to a fault. This shows up in our relationships, in our purity, in our actions, in our humor, in our families, in the way that we treat people, and even in the expectations that we have of others. And so, I don't want to harp on that today, but I'll simply say this. 
As Christ followers, we're supposed to transform the world. Sometimes many of us, probably all of us, if we're being honest, have moments where we conform to the world, where we look like the world, where we let the world change us and and, and speak into us, and that's a problem. That's what it looks like to to be a conformist. The other extreme is actually to to be a separatist. Because if we're going to copy the patterns and behaviors of this world, we instantly think, oh, the world's bad. We're only copying the bad stuff. But anyone who, who's been a believer for a while, who's grown up in the church, knows that there's some Christian things that you can, you can copy too. There's, there's a whole religious subculture that we have, right? We have Christian tattoos, and we have Christian t-shirts, and, and Christian radio stations, and all kinds of things that we do. And I, I don't mean to mock those things or say that they're bad, but if we're following those exclusively just to be a part of a subculture, or to do what other people are doing to appear religious or appear good, then we're, we're missing the heart behind those things. And so what, what does it look like to, to be a separatist? Well, separatists eliminate them, themselves from the world. They're, they're kind of the, the religious elite. In, in the Bible, obviously, we, we see Jesus interacting with a, a group called the Pharisees. And, and he did this often. And, and this is a, a passage that I wanted to share today. This is, this is out of Luke chapter 18. And I'll, I'll read this to you. It's, um, it's the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It just says this. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Sometimes when we copy the, the patterns and the customs of this world, we learn a, a fake spirituality. We learn this fake religion, and we look what, it, what, it, what it's like to be completely caught up in ourselves and be obsessed with ourselves, and we learn to think that others are the problem. Others have sin. We're not the problem, and so we basically separate ourselves from that and put those people down and try to elevate ourselves. So a separatist is a, a person who completely separates from the world. Go figure. All right, they've made a decision to follow Jesus, to give their life to Him, and yet they, they, they want to be a, a new creation and, and be set apart, but, but they don't want to sin or they don't want to mess up. They don't want to admit that they sin. They don't want to admit that they mess up. And so they just uh, find themselves being anti-everyone else. Because if they can focus on how good they are, they can, they can also focus on how, how bad others are. And there are some, some things that, that distinguish the, the life of a separatist. They put rules over relationship. They, they see the, the Bible as a rule book. And rather than seeing their relationship with Jesus as a, as a fluid, active relationship and friendship, they think, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, and magically I'm good enough. And that person didn't do this, didn't do this, didn't do that. They're not good enough. They're not as good as me. They find themselves using a, a microscope instead of a mirror because they're looking at the lives and the sin of others and of the world around them, rather than saying, am I like Christ? Can people see Christ in me? Am I defined by love? 
Am I being changed by my relationship with Jesus? And they often put their own performance over a passion and a desire to be like God. They're judging themselves and a specific to-do list and stacking those deeds up and elevating their view of themselves. You guys know the, the, basically the impression that people have of Christians in the world. Unfortunately, I think sometimes that, that people see the, the separatist in us too much. And also they, they see the conformist, but it probably doesn't really stand out because there's nothing different about that. The reality is that, that both of those camps are wrong, and so I don't mean to glorify one or pick on one, but I think those are the two extremes that we can often go to as we look to find balance. We can, we can let the scale tip one way, or we can let the scale tip another way. And yet we're, we're told that we're supposed to be in the middle. We're supposed to be transforming culture, transforming the world, and changing the world. And if you've sped, spent time reading the Gospels, you've seen the life of Jesus, you know that that's how he lived. He didn't separate from people, and yet he didn't conform to what they were doing. He was in situations, he was active in situations, he was active in the lives of people, he pointed them to truth, and he transformed their lives. There's another story that I, I want to read, because I, I think it is so key for, for what we see in the life of Jesus, and it's out of Matthew chapter 9. It's one of my, one of my favorite uh, just interactions that Jesus has, and this is, this is when he uh, really gets to know Matthew, and, and so this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and I think this is an example of Jesus transforming culture. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Now, you guys don't know this, but there's something you can read into this passage. Tax collectors back then were basically terrible people, all right? If Matthew was here, he, he wouldn't mind me saying that, all right? Because these tax collectors would basically upcharge whatever they wanted to. And so if we pay 25% taxes in America, imagine if there was a local tax collector in Hilliard that came to your door and just said, hey, this week it's 32%. And you'd say, what? And he'd say, be glad it's not 35 and he would just keep that, that middle part. He could, he could kind of change the taxes to do whatever he wanted. And so they would be rich people, corrupt people. They were kind of the, the definition of a corrupt politician that we think of today. And so Jesus meets this guy. It says, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. This is what Jesus says to him. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know... They are sinners. Jesus didn't, didn't go and hang out with these guys and say, Hey, I know a lot of you have a reputation for robbing people, and I think that's awesome. Can I get a cut of the money? Or maybe we can all go party with some of that money. So he wasn't conforming to this culture. He instantly called these, these people to something different. The first thing he said to Matthew was, Change your course of action, follow me, and be my disciple. And yet he didn't say, now that you're my disciple, I need you to uh, only listen to 104.9 The River, and I need you to not talk to any of your old friends, and I need you to start wearing our t-shirts that have a backwards fish, too. 
I'm sorry if you have a t-shirt on with a backwards fish. Just making a point, all right? But my point is, he said, God has given you this life. God has given you these relationships. God has given you this avenue and these people that you know. And now that you know me, your job is to take me to those people. Your job is to transform a sinful tax collector culture in your setting. He didn't say to conform to that world or those patterns any longer. He didn't say to separate from those things. He said to be Christ in that situation and transform that situation. I think that we see that also in, in the life of Paul. There's, there's tons of times that, uh, that, that Paul shared the gospel and, and different times. One time even uh, he, was, he was before a group of people and he was being asked to explain himself. And, uh, and Paul quoted a modern day poem. From, from his era. He, he basically just, just stepped out of what he was doing and he was thinking, how can I explain Christ and the change that's gone on in my life and who I am and what these people are seeing? And so he quoted a, a poem basically from, from that day to, to unite himself with that audience to say, all right, this is common ground. This is something that we all know. This is something that you understand, except I'm, I'm different. I've been changed. And so he referenced that basically to give them a, a point of, of reference. He simply, he simply said this. He was explaining to people what it looks like to follow God. He said, For in Him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and return to Him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this was by raising him from the dead. Paul spoke the gospel. He spoke truth. When people doubted him, when people asked why he had changed, what was different about him. But he did it in a way that that they could understand. He did it in a way that they could see who he was. in In a language that they understood from their world. And so what does it look like to be a a transformist of culture? I think simply put, it's someone who mirrors New Testament Christianity. It's it's very, very cliche to say, well, just go go do what Jesus would do. Live like Jesus would. What would Jesus do? Look at your bracelet and then figure it out. And yet, there's not a lot of people that that we can look at for an example. It It would haunt me... If you were to, to say, well, I'm going to do whatever Mark does, the way that he talks to his wife, the way that he treats his kids, the, the, the things that he does, I'm, I'm going to completely, 100% do what he does. I, I do my best, and I, I want to be an example. I want to live for Christ, but I'm not going to be the example that Jesus is. And so we need to be in the Word. We need to be spending time reading God's Word and looking at the example of Jesus so that we can see how he is able to, to live out truth how he is able to transform culture, and what it looks like for people to be changed by interacting with him. We're called to be in culture, to be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase. We're called to be changed. We're called to embody Christ in the situations we find ourselves in. And there will be times that we have to draw lines. There will be times that we we may have to say, you know what, I'm not strong enough to put myself in this situation, and so I can't be around that. There might be times that that we need to say, I can't can't do that, that's too far. 
But there are many opportunities that we can be around people who don't know Jesus. There are many opportunities that we can do the things and speak the language and be a part of what they are doing and do them differently. What does it look like for people to see an engineer who loves Jesus or a a teacher who loves Jesus? What does it look like for us to play on a summer softball team but love Jesus? What does it look like for us to be a part of the Hilliard Moms Club but love Jesus and for them to see a difference in the way that we talk to people, the way that we talk about our in-laws, the way that we talk to our kids and about our kids? What does it look like to transform the situations and the culture that we're in? I had an opportunity to go to a, a Christian college I didn't grow up in in Christian school, uh, but obviously if you're going to go to school to be a pastor, you're probably going to end up in in Christian school. And so uh, one of the most convicting things that a professor ever said to me, I'll I'll never forget this because it it happened my sophomore year, uh, but we had a, a professor who was just talking about the life of Jesus. And he was talking about what it looks like to live life as, as Jesus would in modern day. And he said, as I look at the life of Jesus... He said, Jesus was regularly being confronted by religious people. He said, if, and so my prof said this, he said, if you want to know what it looks like to live like Jesus would in modern day, he said, you should probably be regularly confronted and questioned and doubted by religious people. And so he looked at us as this. I remember I was, I was 19, sitting in the second row, and he said this. He said, when is the last time a religious person questioned your motives or questioned the way that you're living. I was super convicted. I'm not saying that my prof was saying, hey, you should just go and move into a bar and be there 20 hours a day and do whatever you want to and and, uh, try to have an impact while you're there, Mark. But as he said this, when is the last time that, that you were confronted by religious people for the way that you're living, by the way that you're loving the world? I was convicted because I found myself that I had, I had been a separatist. It wasn't, it wasn't on purpose, but I had grown up in a family that, that loved God. And I had grown up in a family that, that wanted to, to love me and wanted to mold me. And so uh, for, for good reason, I was kept away from certain things. For good reason, I was, I was not allowed to go spend the night at certain friends' houses because of, of things their parents did on the weekends. And my parents loved me and, and were looking out for me. And yet in that moment, I knew that, that I was old enough that those things weren't a temptation to me anymore. I was just avoiding those things because it was the culture I'd been caught up in and, and what I had been taught. And so I didn't hang out with my friends from, from my sophomore year anymore, the last couple years of, of high school. Because I was, I, was, I was doing Bible studies and I was doing some good things. But I had, I had let the, the scale tip and become unbalanced. And I had gone completely to the separatist side, the religious side. And I didn't have interactions with those people anymore. And so I look at a passage like this where I'm told to transform the world. Where I'm told to take the gospel to the world. Guess what? To do that, you have to talk to the world. You have to actually know someone who's a sinner. You have to actually have a friend who has a problem or has messed up within the last two years. And I didn't. Everyone I knew was going to be a pastor, and everyone I knew was a great Christian and, and had all the right t-shirts and listened to the right radio stations. And, and again, I'm not saying that those things are bad, but, but that was my own personal experience. I had completely separated myself from the world, completely separated myself from culture, and I was copying that behavior and those customs rather than the behavior and the customs 
and the example of Jesus. And some of you are probably on the opposite side where you're copying the behavior and the customs of the world and the things that you've been taught, the way that you've been taught to party or the way that you've been taught to to treat women or to, to treat your family. You're copying those things and you're not being a new creation. You're not letting Christ change you. And yet balance is is somewhere right in the middle. Because someone who's going to transform this world doesn't separate from the world, but they also don't conform to the world. So how are we trying to do this as a church? Because we're we're a new church. We talk a lot about DNA. It's because those things aren't established. Every week that you come in here, we want you to, to, to feel excited and, and see something fresh, but we don't want you to feel like everything's changing. We want to have kind of some, some principles, some guiding values as a church. And so we've tried to do this. You may, you may notice that some weeks when we're up here and, and we're teaching, we want to be based on truth. But sometimes the best way to explain that is, is to play a song or to show a song that might be speaking the, the language that, that people are, are thinking and listening to. It might be showing a movie clip that people can identify with that can point out some truth, something that God wants to focus us on. It might be having an event on Easter and just dropping a bunch of plastic eggs out of a helicopter so that we can say to the community, we love you. We want to, we want to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to be new creations and we want to be transformational. And so sometimes we're going to start where people are and we're going to take them where Jesus wants them. We're not going to separate from them. We're not going to conform to them. But we're going to speak their language and do certain things so that they can see Christ in us and so that they can see truth. That's what we try to do corporately as a church. But that starts with each one of you. That starts in your life and that starts in your heart. The corporate things that we do, the egg drop that we do, or the the teaching that we do on a Sunday morning because we point out a certain song or movie clip, those things don't matter if you're not being transformational day to day and week to week. If people aren't interacting with you and saying, I see Christ in them, I see love in them, I see a difference, I see someone who understands me and knows where I am, but is calling me to something more. That's what Jesus did with people. That's what Jesus did in the lives of people. And that's what we need to do as individuals so that we can have that DNA as a church. A balanced, transformational follower of Christ isn't a separatist, and they're also not a conformist. So the obvious question today is, are you one of those things? Do you find yourself separating from culture to a fault? Do you find yourself conforming to culture to a fault? What does it look like to transform culture? to be Jesus to people, to meet them where they are, but to hold the line of truth so that they can see life change and be a new creation. I'm going to invite Ronson and and Callie back up, and and they're going to just play a song so that we can reflect, we can take a minute, we can listen to the words of this song, and just ask God, what's going on in our own lives and our own hearts? Because I mentioned that I was convicted with this concept when I was 19, well, guess what? That wasn't the last time I was convicted with this concept. Anyone that's, that's ever had a scale or ever tried to lose weight, maybe, you know that things can, can kind of seesaw and go back and forth. And so uh, probably every week or, or month, we find ourselves swinging one way or the other. And so I want you to just ask yourself this morning, Lord, what, is, what does my life look like now? As I, as I run after you, as I pursue you, is there something you want to change? Do I need to drop a relationship or, or drop an activity because I've been conforming too much? 
Or Lord, do I, do I need to start hanging out in, in areas where I can, I can interact with people because they need truth, because they need a doctor, because they're sick? Is there something that you're calling me to? What needs to change in my life? What difference do you want to see?